0: This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then use it as an excuse to argue about shit. I'm Anthony Johnston.
1: And I'm Brian Latendry. And today we're going to be talking about Icon from Paradise Lost, a band that I was not familiar with until you introduced me to them, Anthony.
0: Sadly, uh, too few people are, especially in the States. They've never really quite, you know, broken through in the States, which is a great shame.
1: Um, it is. It's, and it's kind of fascinating. And, and obviously we'll get into that, but with the what I've learned of them in spending a couple of weeks now with this album and just with, with, you know, kind of learning about the band is what a humongous influence and essentially founding father group. They are of oh, yeah, yeah. Gothic metal. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: they were, I mean, they weren't the first Gothic metal band. They weren't the first doom metal band, but they were one of the pioneers to popularize it, uh, especially in Europe. um, and certainly did pioneer their own style and sound within that genre. And yes, they are regarded as kind of the founding fathers of what we now think of as gothic metal. Um, and it's, it's as I say, they, they never quite broke through in America. But to be perfectly honest, they're not that well known over here either. Um, you go to places like Greece and Germany, like places that are really full of metal fans you know real proper hardcore metal countries and they're like you know national stars and they're well i was gonna say on the front cover of magazines but of course we don't have have those anymore but
2: right but
1: when used, we did <laughs> in the world of thrash it out we still yeah. believe in in uh, in, uh yeah you know, yeah they Karang used to be and like raider and, and uh
0: yeah they used to be cover stars uh, of magazines metal yeah edge. they were like you know they were big in that scene um but they've never because you know metal unfortunately in well unfortunately or fortunately depends which way you look at it but certainly in the UK metal has always been an underground genre and at one at one point believe it or not and we're kind of leaping ahead of the band's history here but believe it or not at one point they were regarded in the uk press or not regarded but i should say lauded in the uk press as like the great white hope of british metal and potentially the next metallica which on reflection is absurd but everybody was kind of caught up in this like oh my god we have a really good metal band here all of a sudden and they're from england
1: (laughs) and and we are definitely i mean clearly there's a metallica Influence and, and link here, which we'll talk about as we get into the album. But you mentioned Germany, which they ha- it appears from what I saw have always been huge in. Yeah. And you mentioned um, you know Metallica in 1994. I was reading one thing about them. By mid 1994, they were outselling Metallica in Germany, mm. so they I were actually selling more records mm. than Metallica at a time where Metallica was still ginormous in 94.
0: Um, yeah. That was, uh, was that pre-load or was it the same year as load? It was, round of, it was, yeah, you know, it was sort of, it was certainly, there was still Metallica was still riding very high on the success of the black album. Absolutely. That time. So yeah. To outsell them in any region is pretty momentous. And that's why they were picked up by actually, no, let's rewind. Let's go. <laughs> we're jumping way ahead. I know before
1: we even get into this, can can we also just say that If we sound a little bit manic, it's because uh, we've been getting some really great love on the internet about the podcast so far. Oh,
0: yeah. We're recording this just after we have officially launched. So episode one has just gone live as we're recording this, which is what, episode five. Um, And yes, we've been getting some lovely feedback from people on the internet about it.
1: Just uh, awesome. I mean, one of the things that we obviously love about metal in general is the sense of community that it inspires. And so what I love about Metalheads is that when we get excited about something, we want to share it with other people. So it's been really cool to see us put out the announcement of the podcast and then people sharing it with friends of theirs that they know are metalheads, even if they're not. And so there's this great kind of thing like, Hey Joe, you have to come look at this or Hey Stacy, you need to, this show is all for you. And, and there's already been some really good comments. I I just want to give a shout out to Don Cardenas who had made a comment about the unjustly maligned Megadeth episode, which was sort of the backdoor pilot as I was thinking about it uh, for this show. And he said, the Risk episode you did actually convinced me to go back and give Megadeth another shot, and this time it stuck. And I thought, oh, "Wow, well, I we can fold that. it up now. We're done. Our work here is done. Are- Your
0: work, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. My work is this album.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So, I, But but that's really what part of this show is about, right? Because like we, I just mentioned at the top of the show, you have now introduced me to this band that I, you know, if I knew their name in passing certainly had not been that familiar with their music and now feel like I have this whole other you know, band to explore. And that's the mm. cool thing about this. That's the kind of the vibe that we're trying to capture is we're going to hopefully be exposing each other and, and the listening audience, if not you and I, to albums and bands that they have not heard before or, as in the case of Don here, maybe didn't really give it a second look the first time around but they go back and check it out. And, and I mentioned in yeah. one of our previous episodes that I have a sort of a golden rule about listening to albums. Is, and that golden rule is that if you really want to be able to form an opinion on an album, you listen to it at least three times from front to back, the way that it was intended, and then tell me how you feel about it. And so if, I feel like if people do that, With albums that we talk about on the show that they have never heard before. If you give it three good listens front to back, you can decide whether you like it or not. But you've given that album a chance. A fat because, shake. Yeah, yeah, because one listen isn't going to do it, and I don't even think two listens does it. And, and I certainly don't think that listening to a single or cherry-picking a couple of tracks or, or putting a song on your Spotify playlist is going to cut it. You really should listen to, especially with a lot of the ones that we're talking about, which were made in the era where there was such a thing as <laughs> you know uh, the front side and the back side of an album. There's a reason that the tracks are yeah. you know, put in a certain way. So, so give it a chance. Live with the music for a little while. And hopefully you'll be exposed to some new stuff, and and you'll dig it. And and so that was awesome to hear from Don that he, you know, even with even if it wasn't risk, if it was any Megadeth album that he went and checked it out and and gave them another shot,
0: awesome. Well, and and one of the really cool things that I saw was people seeing the show, uh, and then. Sort of downloading it, but then queuing up St. Anger. Because, of course, the first episode we talked about St. Anger. Queuing up St. Anger to listen to it before then listening to the podcast, which is, I mean, that's fantastic. I warn listeners now, that may not be easy to keep up as we continue. Because, I mean, even Paradise Lost, you know, I don't know whether they're on Spotify. I have, you know, maybe, maybe not. Sure. You know, there will probably come a point where we want to talk about a band that are not easy to find on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. Um, But nevertheless, I do love that attitude. Absolutely. And the first person I saw to shout that out actually was Brian Hamilton, who is another podcast host. Um, And he actually took a picture of his iPhone sitting in a high-rise stand with the St. Anger. Uh, album artwork play, showing so that he was like you know playing the playlist on Spotify That was I awesome.
1: love that <laughs> and, and, and so essentially at the end of every episode we are giving you your homework for the next episode because we're, we're telling right. each other what the next <laughs> uh, album is going to be that we're going to listen to so well, it's
0: our homework as well it, yeah. it
1: absolutely is and, and it's the best type of homework in the world I, it's the homework that I enjoy doing the most and so <laughs> it's definitely you know something where if you haven't listened to these albums or you're not intimately familiar with them Give them a listen, you know, cue, cue them up, find them, go down to your local record shop and grab if you still have one. Um, luckily, I do in my hometown uh, and just listen to it because it would be great if you had that fresh in your head as you came into each episode. And, and we'll make sure to tell people. And if it's one that we know the is going to be hard to find, right, exactly. If we know it's going to be hard to find, We'll try to think about that before the episode and maybe just put out there where we found out, whether it be eBay or, you know, somewhere else where we've sort of seen a copy floating around in the wild. Um,
0: do, do you know what? Funnily enough, actually, one of the best places to find obscure metal these days is YouTube. That and, is true. You know, I'm not going to speak to the legality of people uploading, uh, you know, albums by Ruddy. Uh, what was that uh, Russian band's name? Hang on a second. Let me
1: well while you're thinking it. about that, I will I will also say that yeah, what's happening nowadays is a lot of people who are audiophiles who are really into the vinyl experience, uh they they are getting vinyl editions of the lo- a lot of these albums and they are uh putting them up as a recording up on YouTube that, so right, so you're hearing yeah. the front side, the second side, all that kind of stuff. So um which is really kind of cool.
0: Radigost. That's the name. They're this Russian
1: I've heard them.
0: Black death metal band, yeah. That I mean, I'm not super into them, but I heard a few tracks, and I heard them through YouTube. Somebody linked somewhere, and I heard them through YouTube, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty." You know, uh, they have like one of their albums is called "For the Honor of Our Truth," "For the Honor of Our Faith," and it depicts literally a medieval man on horseback with a you know armor and a shield and stuff and you're like okay this is this is pretty trad
1: <laughs> this is why we love heavy metal right so uh, a couple of other things i just want to mention before we jump into to our topic for today uh, a is that we do some mea culpos at the beginning of the show sometimes and i have to oh, do yes, one follow about up. <laughs> megadeth so when we were talking about megadeth um, i was mentioning how i've seen them several times live and how there was a song we were talking about anarchy in the uk And I said, I don't think they play that live anymore. And then as we were talking about it, I sort of second-guessed myself and said, oh, maybe it's Holy Wars that they don't play anymore. No, it is, in fact, uh, Anarchy in the UK that they do not play anymore live. And it's because after Dave Mustaine became Born Again... The fact that the the lyric of "I am an Antichrist" in Anarchy in the UK is that's why kind they stopped of problematic. Singing. Yeah. Exactly, so that's why they stopped singing that song. So it was in fact Anarchy in the UK that they should no longer close shows with. Man. I should have, <laughs> and I backed up on it, and then I was like, wait a second. Of course, they're still playing Holy War. So, uh, so that's my mea culpa. And then the last thing I wanted to mention before we jump into it is that I attended an amazing live show last Sunday, as we record this, I went to the Rockstar Mayhem Festival. There was a show here in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. I live in Springfield, Massachusetts, but uh, it was headlined by Slayer, and it was sort of co-headlined by King Diamond, and then there was a host of other bands. Hell Yeah was there. Uh, The Devil Wears Prada was there. Those were main stage bands. The band that I was dying to see in addition to King Diamond and Slayer, was a Swedish band called Sister Sin. And you you can remember this name because you'll hear them, I'm sure, on an upcoming episode at some point. But they are a, a band out of Sweden, female-fronted, absolutely amazing band that in my mind are what 80s metal would have become if grunge didn't come along. And I mean that in <laughs> wow. a good way. I, and I know that could go in a bad way, but this is in a good way. It's sort of a progression of... Uh, of 80s metal, and they are fantastic. And I got right. to meet the singer of the band, Liv Jagrell, and was just it was a fantastic day. Slayer, uh, there's a post up on my blog on c.brianwright.com where I have the actual intro to Slayer's set where they... Oh, have, yeah, I watched that. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's amazing, right? So they have this white sheet that covers the whole stage, and they're projecting images of upside-down crosses and the pentagrams and everything. And then when they start playing, they literally drop this... You know, it's hundred, it, hundreds of yards wide, white sheet off the front of the stage, and it just sort of billows down as fire is shooting out of the back of the stage, and they're just playing insanely. So um, we could put a link to that in the show notes. But yeah. All Day Metal Festival got exposed to a lot of bands that I'd never heard of before, and a lot of, uh, a lot of deathcore and stuff like that, which I'm not super huge into, but I will give anything a chance. So there was a lot of interesting bands that played on the second stage. In my mind, Sister Sin stole the second stage show. They were fantastic. And then, of course, um, you know, the bands on the main stage. I wasn't that into Hell Yeah before. They had a great live show. Devil Wears Prada really impressed me live. King Diamond, I had never seen. And holy crap. First of all, that dude can still sing like nobody's business. And second of all, what a stage show! It's very performance oriented. It's very theatrical. There's uh, there's dancers that come on stage. There's sort of scenes that get acted out. It's really an entertaining show that I think you don't see a lot in metal anymore. I've seen Rob Zombie a few times. He's he puts on a good stage show. Back in the day, like Motley Crue used to put on a good stage show, but you don't see those sort of like Alice Cooper, Kiss type theatrics as much anymore. And it was kind of a real throwback to see that. Um, and then of course Slayer closed the show and you know what you get every time that you see Slayer, you get Slayer from from front to back. They're in my mind very much like Motorhead that way, like you know exactly what yeah. you're getting when you go see Slayer. So awesome live show and um, can't wait to get back out there again.
0: A less charitable person might say that King Diamond puts on all that theatrics to distract you from the music. But I would never say that.
1: Well, <laughs> I think you could make that argument because I was never a huge. Uh, I mean, obviously, I knew of Merciful Fate and I knew of King Diamond's um, solo I've work. I've just,
0: I've never been able to get into them. There's, and it is mostly King Diamond's voice. I just can't quite get past the voice, the falsetto.
1: And I'm not sort of a defender of him, but it, it might be worth at some point trying to find an album that we can dig into and maybe latch onto something there. I will tell you that his band was super tight playing live, like oh, just really am, amazing musicians. And I'm
0: sure it was a great sort of, you know, very professionally done show and everything. I'm sure for their fans, it was awesome. I just, I, I am not counted among them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Although I will say like, he's one of those guys that I would say, even if you're not a fan probably if he comes around live, I would catch him at least once. Like he, I don't want to say he's a bucket list. Like Alice Cooper,
0: just for the experience. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. So awesome time. So yeah, lots of metal lately. And then in between all of that and around all of that, I have been listening to this album icon from paradise lost.
0: And uh, funnily enough, talking about live, this was the first, it was this album. They were touring when I first saw paradise lost live. Uh, And they are pretty awesome live actually. Um, very again very tight um very not quite so energetic now as they used to be mm-hmm. <laughs> when they were younger <laughs> they used to be very energetic um lots and lots of headbanging plenty of action stage right as the lead singer nick holmes often says about uh Aaron Adie, who's the rhythm guitarist just headbangs throughout the entire show fantastic uh-huh. uh like he's one of those guys you said like plants his feet and then just he- plays and headbangs the entire show. And that's it. That's him done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and you, I think you need at least one of those guys in your band. If, you know, uh, if, even if you don't have to synchronized across the, across the front, you at least have to have one dude who is always holding it down.
0: And they also, um, okay. So the band consists of Nick Holmes, who is the lead singer and writes all the lyrics. Greg McIntosh, who is the lead guitarist and writes all of the music. And then you have Aaron AD, the rhythm guitarist, Steve Edmondson, who is the bassist, uh, and then a revolving seat of drummers. And it was originally a guy called Matt Archer or nicknamed Tuds. And they were all, they weren't quite school friends, as in, you know, all went to the same school, but they were all school age and they were friends. Um, In Halifax, a small town in Northern England, just down the road from where I live. In, I think, 1987, they officially formed. But it was basically because they just all knew one another from, you know, hanging out, At the same places if i recall correctly the story goes that uh nick the eventual singer and greg the guitarist were both at the same party wearing creator patches on their denim or something like that um and that's how they got talking they were the only people there with with creator patches on their back of their jackets and that's how they got talking and you know the band was formed but you have uh aaron was i think already a guitarist in another band and at one point, it was infamously scrawled Paradise Lost Our Shit on Tud's bedroom wall in Magic Marker before he joined them. Nice. Uh, Steve Edmondson was a guitarist, but told them that he was a bassist just to sort of get in the band and then rapidly had to learn how to play
1: bass. Wow, that's devotion right there.
0: <laughs> it's just, And then, yeah, Tud's my Archer. I don't know, maybe he was the only guy with the drum kit. I don't know. So you have all, but they, it's great. They really were kids. Their first album, which is called Lost Paradise, and uh, for the comics listeners out there, has a front cover by Duncan Figueredo, would you believe? Um, which uh, I have fanboyed out over uh, with Duncan at conventions many a time. Um, the back cover band photo, they literally took it after school. Like they all got out of school one day, they went and stood in the local cemetery with a mate and took photos took band photos <laughs> perfect you look at them you can tell that they're like 15 16 years old it's brilliant.
1: but i think especially when a band's first starting out like you'd rather see that than the whole you know photo shoot
2: oh yeah studio
1: yeah. arranged makeup and lighting all that kind of stuff like that that just sort of lends to their street cred i think
0: well and they've never done that sort of thing that's one of the great things about Paradise lost is that they have never been that sort of showy Uh, sort of all really sort of tight controls on our image kind of band. They've never been like that. They have a consistent image because of the sort of music they make and the sort of people and the personalities they are, but they're not, yeah, they're not sort of controlling all that stuff to within an inch of its life. Um, They will just stand there and frown at the camera quite happily, Uh you know, (laughs) and just have their photo taken. Which is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Are you done? Right. Can we go now and get a drink? (laughs) Um, I was going to mention you the the symmetry on the stage, talking about the seeing them live and how you not having the sort of synchronized headbanging or anything, but you need to have one guy who just stands there and headbangs. On the other side, Greg is left-handed, so they always stand sort of forming a V on the stage with their guitar necks, uh, if you okay. like. Yep. Aaron always stands stage right. Greg always stands stage left, and because you know Aaron's right-handed, Greg's left-handed. Um, th- yeah, you get this like lovely symmetry And then you've got you know, Nick and the drummer And uh, and the bassist in the middle Um, But the funny thing there is that When I first met the band And I've met them a few times um, I mentioned this And it turns out that Aaron is actually left-handed But he couldn't buy a left-handed guitar So he learnt to play right-handed That is
1: amazing <laughs>
0: it's... What I'm trying to get across here, I think is that they are slightly ramshackle in that sense. You know, well, there, they- there is not a lot of calcula- calculated, okay, this is this is our strategy. There's sure. not a lot of that with this band, not a lot of forward planning. And that is reflected in the evolution of their music, which we're not really going to cover too much here because we're just talking about one album. But this is a band you've heard me talk many times about loving bands that evolve and change with the times. And Paradise Lost are the absolute poster boys that because every single album of theirs sounds different to the last one
1: which the the and we and we have had this discussion i forget which episode that we had it in but i'm not always a fan of that uh, evolving sound over the years and and i think one of the reasons is because there are many bands who fail at that they they try to evolve but in some cases end up chasing the trends a little bit more and they get away from what they're really good at, and then their music suffers because of that. Now, Paradise Lost, you actually sent me a bunch of tracks that were sort of before and after the album yes, that I we're did. talking about today. Well, actually, no,
0: they were all after. They were. I sent oh, okay. you one, one track, one representative track, if you like, from each of the four, I think, albums following this one, yeah.
1: And it was very diverse. And so so that I, I found really interesting. And you mentioned that they have sort of this ramshackle feel. I, I read several interviews that Um, that the lead singer Nick Holmes has done and some of the other band members have done. And it's clear even in their interviews that (laughs) they, they, uh, but, but in a very honest and genuine way, like I, I think, uh, it might've been this album that he was being interviewed about and he was talking about how like, well, we're actually better musicians now. So you're talking about guys learning to play guitar yes. with the opposite hand, learning to play bass when they're a guitarist to begin with. Like he clearly, the band is acknowledging that as they go along. Like, yeah, part of the evolution of our sound is because we're becoming better musicians along the way. And, um and that's One why- of the things,
0: one of the things that uh, Nick and Greg have always said in interviews, and I actually, I've really sort of, this has been a kind of guiding light for me throughout my career as a, you know, creative person Um, is when, because you listen to those early albums and believe me, like the very first album, Lost Paradise, it is not a good album. You know, it is, you can tell it is a bunch of kids who have just learned to play, who don't know how to operate the studio equipment properly. It's recorded in like one afternoon, you know, it is not a good album. Um, But Obviously, you know, it led to many other things and they get asked about their early stuff and they were very sort of death orientated when they started as well. And they get asked a lot about the earlier albums and do you look back and sort of cringe a bit now at some of that stuff? And they always said no, because it was the best we could do at the time. And that's never anything to be ashamed of. And that to me sums up such a fantastic attitude towards any creative career and it's something it's the way i feel i look back on a lot of my early work a lot of my early writing and i'm like oh dear wow you know i can see how naive and amateurish a lot of it is but i will never be embarrassed about it because it was the best i could do at the time and you're right they always acknowledge that and i think that's one of the that speaks as you said to sort of the integrity and the honesty of the band that they never Shy away from that. They never try to sort of like, oh d- no, no, that was we don't right. talk about that. You
1: know, no, and that's a great point too. And I, I feel the same way. Like I, I look at some of the early stuff that I wrote, and you definitely can see the progression. But you can see the progression, and so exactly you have to start somewhere. It's it's like the whole thing. Like you can't you can't edit something that you haven't written yet. You know, there's a million people right. who want to write out there, but the the writing is in their head because they second guess themselves too many times to actually get the words to the page. And so you have to make crap. In order to make something good and even the crap you make is worth something and so
0: and the way paradise lost operates and you won't really have seen this because you've you know haven't you've only sort of just started hearing them right one of the the way they kind of and i'm sure this isn't a conscious thing but there is a pattern with their albums because they're onto like their 15th 16th album by now Mm -hmm. and there is a pattern which is one record they kind of you can feel that they are trying new things. They're experimenting. They're figuring out new ways of doing things. And then the following record is quite often a more polished version of that sound. And it is in that same way that obviously you can't go back and re-record something. You you know, once it's released, you can't change it. But they're clearly looking back on it and thinking, okay, th- we made a few mistakes there, but we think we know how to do this now. And so the next album... You know, they'll do that. Right. And then the album after that, they'll change again. They'll go, okay, we've done that now. Now we're going to try something different again. And that's been a pattern throughout their whole career. Uh, and this album, Icon, this is one of the experimental ones. This is one of the first stage where they are just trying things out and figuring out how to do it. And then the album following this, Draconian Times, which is their most popular, best selling, most commercially successful album like, you know, in their, in the band's history, that's the polished one. That's the one where every track pretty much is a classic. And you can tell that they know exactly what they're doing. They figured it all out. But this album, I actually prefer because it's not quite perfect because it's not, you can, you can almost hear the rough edges on it. You can hear them figuring out how to do these things and trying new things. And I, personally as a listener find that much more interesting and exciting
1: well and again i think to me this also goes back to to what we talked about earlier and my whole thing about giving an album three listens like this is an album you want to live with for a little while this is an album you want to spend some time with it's not an album where you're going to throw it into the cd player or put it on your mp3 player and the first listen through all the songs are going to click with you and you're going to and you're going to have formed an informed opinion about the album. Like, this took three solid listens for me to really start to grow on me, and I've probably listened to it, I would say, at least 10 or 15 times now by the time that we record this episode. Uh, I took it on vacation with me. I've had it in my car, just sort of playing in the background. I've listened to it on my headphones, because the other thing, too, is I like to listen to it uh, in the car on my, you know, on my headphones, get it in a couple of different ways. It passed the loudness test, which is if you turn it up louder, (laughs) it keeps sounding better, the more loud that you turn it up. Um, And, and it really did finally click in with me to where I now have kept it in my CD player. And it's sort of been, been the thing that I'm riding around with. And, you know, my, my, uh, you, I just want to mention, you mentioned Creator was a, was a band that they were interested in, at least when they were first started forming. When they toured in America in 1993, their first American tour, it was in support of Morbid Angel and Creator. Those were the two bands that they went out to support.
0: That doesn't surprise me. And in 93, that would have been about right. This album, Icon, was released at the end of 93. Mm. Uh, so in 93 itself, when they were touring, they would have been touring the previous album, which was called Shades of God. Yep. Um, and that was, the Shades of God was actually the first album of theirs that I heard. That uh, was their third album. Their second album was called Gothic, kind of a statement of intent. And uh, many people will sort of talk about that as being the birth of gothic metal. And it it sort of was, and it's a fine album. You know, they still even play a couple of tracks from that when they do gigs now. But uh-huh. it was actually Shades of God that really and the band have said this, that really made them start to find their own sound. Even though Gothic was quite innovative at the time, it wasn't that distinctive. Uh, But on Shades of God, there's one particular track called As I Die, which was, I think, was a single even. Uh, They certainly at least made a music video for it. Um, And that is the first track where you hear them finding their signature sound, like, and really sort of clicking. And what that is... And this sounds, this sounds ridiculous because now, of course, it's incredibly common, but back in like 1992 or whenever they made this album, it wasn't. And that is having the uh, rhythm guitars, you know, like chugging away underneath and then having the lead guitar lines playing throughout the entire song, not just for a solo, not just for right. a bridge break, but the entire song has lead lines playing over the rhythm. Now, Like I say, that's actually fairly common now. But at the time, that was incredibly unusual. And it was a track, as I say, on that album where they kind of discovered that sound. And Gregor said in interviews that he sort of, you know, they listened back to that and went, we've got something here. This is quite new. You know, this sounds different and fresh. Let's see what we can do with that. And this album icon was you know, what came forth as a result. And you can hear it, obviously, throughout the entire album here. They've just gone, right, okay, we're going to take that as far as it can go. And so every track on this album practically has got that dynamic of really heavy rhythm guitar and then the lead guitar on top playing throughout the whole song, not sure. just the choruses or or the solos.
1: So, yeah, so 1993, they tour... In support of Morbid Angel and Creator, uh, this album reached number 31 on the German album chart and number 80 on the Dutch albums chart. So again, very big in Germany mm-hmm. um, in terms of sales, <laughs> uh, which is kind of awesome because, again, at, at that time, they were just about to start outselling Metallica yeah. you know, around there. So, Oh,
0: I just wanted to mention, you, you said about uh, listening to an album multiple times, which obviously I've done many times with all of their albums. And in fact, just out of curiosity, to to check that, I went and looked at my last FM stats. Um, I've been scrubbling to last FM for about ten years now, since two thousand five. Uh uh-huh. Um, and in that time, uh, it turns out that I have racked up over three and a half thousand Paradise Lost plays. Wow! <laughs> they are they are by far like you literally double you know number two.
1: They're um, your go-to.
0: And that doesn't count things like CDs or listening in the car or on my iPod or the C90 tapes that I used to listen to back in the nineties in my Uh car, you know, that's just the last 10 years sitting at my computer, playing them through iTunes. So I mean, it's like some days I will literally just pick, I will go to artists in iTunes, paradise lost and just start playing from Gothic onwards, you know, just let it play through album after album right the way through for the whole day. So that's how you rack up three and a half thousand plays. It, it's so funny <laughs> because
1: that is literally the way that I feel about Megadeth. So, and I'll do the same thing. I will just, I will put in the very first album and I will just play straight through yeah, everything yeah. that they've done. Even the ones that I don't really care for as much um, because they're just my go-to in that way. So, so, th- and that's kind of awesome because obviously you've lived with that music for a long time. So. oh um, well, Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, mean, I think I, hopefully people are getting, a, yes, the idea that this is, these are literally my go-to band. You know, I listen to this band, more than any other um and you know i think as i say i think icon is a good representation of why and it was certainly the it was the album that really made me a fan actually as i say shades of god i'd heard and i liked it was fine uh and (laughs) one of the reasons i liked it and one of the reasons i liked icon is because at the time as i've mentioned before i was in in and out of metal bands when I was younger. Uh, And one of my friends, another guitar player at the time, we were listening to it and he went, you know, one of the things I like about this is that we could play this. It's not that difficult.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what? It's funny you mention that because they're not not overly complex in terms of their song composition. But as you mentioned with, you know, the lead lines and stuff like that, it's how they put it together. Exactly. And, And, you know, and it's also the, the weight of it, um, because one of the things that I really like about this album, and and I think for fans, uh, l- let's say if you are if you're living in America like I am and ha- maybe haven't heard of this band or, or weren't as familiar with them because they weren't as big over here, and you're trying to find like as we're talking about this, like where where do I get a foothold on you know this band? This album to me sounds like uh, it it's reminiscent of Ride the Lightning of Metallica for me, although I think it's a it's a slower tempo. There is definitely a tendency from the lead singer to uh, capture that sort of James Hetfield sort of um, like barkish, you know, kind of kind of shouting lyrics. Um, and I certainly think some of the some of the guitar tone, some of the riffs, and, and even some of the use of uh, the wah pedal and and stuff like that it feels like it's it's something that. Is in some way influenced by Metallica, or at least to listeners of Metallica, it will feel somewhat familiar to. So this is, I think, you're right, a good entry because these guys are absolutely have a different sound than Metallica. But there's enough there for you to be like, oh, okay, that feels a little bit familiar to me. And then you spend more time with the album and you see how it's going in many different directions. But but that was the first thing when I listened was like, huh, if, it, it reminds me kind of like a of a slower tempo ride the lightning obviously darker and more brooding but uh but it definitely had that sort of feel
0: hey honestly i'm pretty sure that the guys would take that as a big compliment because you know they have mentioned again in interviews in the past that metallica you know that they all love metallica and metallica was an influence on them uh maybe still is i don't know but uh, yeah i think they would probably take that as a compliment and it is yeah, I can see the sort of comparison you're making, but it is a heavy album. That's the other well, thing. Well, that's, that's you mentioned the, thing. the weight of it, and this is a yes. genuinely. It is a heavy album. Right.
1: So, ride the lightning is is a thin album in the way that it's produced. Like when you listen to it, it's it certainly it's heavy music, but it it doesn't have the same bottom. Mm. When you listen to this album, this album has a big fat bottom. So, it <laughs> so it. it there, there is the the weight of the guitars, the crunch of the guitars, the you know the 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 pulse of the drums, like the the bass, like that. There's a bottom to this album. There's a yeah. weight to this album, oh, yeah. And, and
0: yeah, that's uh, Steve Effamy, the um, producer, right? So, would, and
1: would... that coupled with the sort of slower tempo than like a ride the lightning, I think those two things together, the the heavy bottom and the slower tempo, really drives home the grinding sort of you know, heavier elements of the album.
0: Yeah. As you said, the, the weight of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, so, okay, before we dive into the tracks, just Mm -hmm. a couple more things that I want to give for context. One of them is that before this album, they were renowned for really long songs. Like they were one of those, you know, sort of death, doom bands that wrote regularly wrote eight, nine minute songs. Um, and this was the first album where they really started to draw that back. Um, which is funny because when I first got this album, of course, knowing that they were had prone to long songs, I looked at the track list and I was like, 13 tracks. Oh, my God, this is going to be like two hours long. And then, of course, played it and realized that, no, that's not the case <laughs> because most tracks are only about four or five minutes long.
1: There is um, no song on this album over five minutes. And that was actually one of the notes I made in my mm-hmm. notes was uh, that none of the songs overstay their welcome because none of them are over five minutes long.
0: Right, which considering, as you say, the slow tempo of many of them is quite, and again, this is one of the things I love about this band. I think it's a testament to their songwriting that they can take. There's a track on, um, uh, is it one second, I think it is, called Disappear, which is like four minutes, four and a half minutes, but it is an epic, and it has this long instrumental coda at the end, And how do they fit that into a four and a half minute song? It's crazy. They have this ability to write very short songs by comparison to somebody like, say, A My Dying Bride, and yet give them this epic feel that makes it, you know, you really feel like you've been through a a massive epic song, even though it's only four minutes. And that is incredibly difficult to do.
1: It's like writing a a short story compared to writing a novel. You don't have that room to work with, and you have to be efficient and you have to hit hard because you don't have as much real estate. And so, yeah, I I totally agree. That's harder than letting yourself loose.
0: Right, right. Uh, And the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, and My Dying Bride will come up in this again, is context of the date of its release. This was released one month after Typo Negative's Bloody Kisses, two weeks before Wolverine Blues by Entombed, And four weeks before, turn loose the swans by my dying bride. Wow! What a month! Oh my god! Like those, that there is a list of some of my favorite albums from the uh, metal albums from the early nineties. Incredible! What an amazing time to be a metal fan that that was. Bloody kisses, Wolverine blues, turn loose the swans, and Icon all within like five, six weeks of one another.
1: How just, did you? How did you make room for all of that in your head?
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's what broke me. Maybe that. Maybe yeah. that's why I am the way I am.
1: Because <laughs> that is a lot to take. In. I mean, usually, like if you if if a if an album from one of your favorite bands comes out, that is your album for months. You know, you're you're just living with that album. You're yeah. that album is twenty four seven. You're completely immersed in it to have that many albums and there were I was definitely living with times... all of those albums yep. for the next 6 months and, and yeah <laughs> there was definitely times over here where that would happen too with with uh, because the music was just coming fast and furious especially mi- mid 80s to early 90s in the type of music that i was right. most uh, excited about it was just constant and so it was that thing where you you which Nowadays, I think the the similar thing is that because they can just cherry pick songs, that's kind of a similar effect where sometimes people don't get a chance to actually, you know, uh, let the music marinate a little bit. So yeah, but but back then, I think we, I think you were, we were born in a time where it was bred into us that you that you gave the music it to do so we would make room for it but when when you get that many releases at a time it's tough to do yeah (laughs) it's tough to make room for all of those
0: it really is yeah my poor head yeah um all right okay we are already running long good sure so sorry listeners uh so let's dive into the album so first track is embers fire uh with that amazing intro which just sets the tone of the whole album i think
1: Uh, it definitely says gothic for sure, and it. Yeah. And it uh, but it, you're absolutely right, which is what you want your first song to do, right? You want your song, your first song to sort of set the tone. That that sort of gothic opening is fantastic, and you also have a real um, re- heavy crunching sludging guitar, you know. So it so it brings all of those elements together in the first song.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I love most about this track, I mean, those chords have an, an enormous amount of power, you know, the way they're recorded, the way they're played. Just, you know, that that is just sheer power. But one of the things I love about this track is its simplicity. And again, I know this is something I've bang on about a bit, but like that main lead line in the verses, you know, the wah, it, that's just a descending scale. That's right. all it is. Uh, yes, it's simple. Even, even Greg's solo is like just repeating cycles of notes over several bars with, again, heavy wah application. And behind it, you've got Aaron's... Rhythm work, which is also, again, pretty simple in this song. This is not a technically complex song, but there is such power behind it, uh, you know, and power in the simplicity that it absolutely works, I think.
1: And there's also space, which I like. So, you know, I, I especially like it with with sort of, you know, the mid to slower tempo songs where you where you have a chord struck. And then you're just hearing that chord resonate as the individual notes are being played over the top of it, and so you have it's almost like this call and response thing where you have the chord playing, and then a so it's kind of like they're answering one another, but the yes. that that chord is just struck and held and and resonates through you know uh, through those other notes being played off the top of it. So so there's space for all of those things, and then you have the bass line obviously under it too. So you you just have. There's room for it to breathe.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's something that uh, more so in the early days, and ironically, actually, now, their last few albums, that they are very good at when they do the slower tempo stuff. They don't... There is a tendency with some bands, I think, to panic uh, at, at the the idea of empty space and fill it with notes and sounds. And, Absolutely. You know, um, and Paradise Lost are very good at resisting that. So one of the things I love about there's a band called the XX, if you've ever heard of them, they are a sort of how can I put them a kind of sparse emo trip hop almost style band. They're kids. I mean, much like Paradise Lost, they are literally they were like barely out of school when they recorded their first album. Um, and it is so sparse, and there's so much emptiness and space in it. I was agog when I heard it. I couldn't. Be- it was like, how can people so young have such confidence <laughs> in their right? Because that's know, it,
1: exactly what it takes. Is you yeah. you you are really there's no hiding. In a right, song exactly. like that, like there's, everything is right out there for, uh, for everybody to take in. And so, you know, not that I'm opposed to the wall of sound because with a lot of the thrash and, and, you hey, know, same, uh, same stuff, here, but there's, yeah, you know, but place and time. Exactly. And, and what I like is that this first song establishes that they're confident in what they're doing, whether, whether or not they're still sort of ramshackle and still sort of raw, but there, there's, they kind of. Uh, they have a concept that they're going with here and they're just going to let it breathe. And so the first song is, a I think it's a great intro tune.
0: Also, it sets out the stall for vocal experimentation. This was the first album where Nick really started actually singing. Like there's a bit of it on Shades of God, but mostly that's, that's just growling and mm-hmm. shouting rather than actually singing. Whereas this album, he does actually sing in a few places and he would then build up that, you know, over the course of the next few albums. Um but in this very song you've got the the sort of low almost spoken pieces yes uh during you know what is effectively the chorus um which was very again very unusual for this band and also very unusual frankly for any kind of heavy metal band at that time and again this is all contextual this was around the time when a lot of metal bands i think largely inspired by the industrial bands that had come out of uh, chicago like you know ministry nine inch nails and so yeah. on they were inspired to do something different and experiment with vocal effects. They're distorting vocals, reverse echo, shoving them through pedals and solid state effect boxes and all that, you know? Uh, and there's a lot of that on this album. Um, you saw it on Wolverine blues as well, funnily enough. And they clearly, you know, that's one of the things there, th- this track kind of sets out the store like, okay, we're going to do that. This isn't just going to be metal growling throughout the whole album. Um, although <laughs> amusingly, Nick used to have a lot of trouble replicating those spoken bits live in the early days, Oh yeah, uh, because he couldn't project, he right. couldn't get his voice lo- that low and also project, uh, 20 years on his voice is so gravelly now that he can do it. No problem. <laughs> and sure. Now he can't reach the high notes instead,
1: <laughs> which is generally what happens over that yeah. uh, period of time. But, um.
0: But yeah, so that's as I say, it's another way in which this track kind of sets out the stall for the album, I think, in a really good way.
1: So then we jump into Remembrance, which is song number two. This is a three minute and twenty six second song, and the first thing I thought when it opened is, "Huh, this is more upbeat and up tempo than than that first song." And then you get into the vocals; and it's it's certainly not a lighter toned song. It's uh, it just it it's just a different flavor in terms of how it opens up, uh, with the, with I think the more upbeat and up tempo beat. But what I liked about this song is that it actually gets heavier as it goes on.
2: Mm-hmm. Like I
1: felt like this song continually got heavier as it went, and over the course of the three and a half minutes, it was at its most heaviest as it sort of drew to a close, which I thought was kind of cool. Because it, it, the, the feel that it gives you coming out of the gate is that it's almost like it would be more uplifting, you know, but, but it's not. Well, as soon as you, and, and certainly from a <laughs> lyrical standpoint, you know, you're, you're getting, and I didn't mention the first song, but, you know, uh, I pulled some lyrics from the first song. Anger looks on the quiet, dreaming, seals the sense of incandescent ones. All remains of the glowing embers is a bleak, cold irrelevance. And so that kind of gives you the, um, the tone of the lyrics across this. And it's that way, the whole album, we're not talking about happy times here. We're not talking about love found. We're talking about love lost. We're talking about the end of times. We're talking about suffering. And so I thought, I kind of got a chuckle when I listened to Remembrance, because I was like, oh, maybe this is kind of like a, a bounce back happier. Oh, nope, it's not. Nope, <laughs> we're not. That's not where we're going here. Yeah,
0: yeah, because it starts with with rising chords. Yes. And you think, oh, here we go. No, yep. no, back down again. Yeah, We're going um,
1: back down the rosy path. Oh, no, we're not. We're no <laughs> we're, we're, we just got dragged down into the grave again.
0: I think... And obviously, unbiased, but I think Nick is one of the most underrated lyricists in metal. I mean, he's certainly an underrated vocalist, but I think he's a really underrated lyricist as well. And part of the reason for that is that he writes this stuff that is incredibly gothic and bleak and, you know, sort of bordering on potentious. And it's really powerful and dramatic, but he doesn't resort to, to man-of-war. You know, like, and the earth exploded with mighty sure. thunder. And the demon you know, crawled the, out and ripped you right.
1: asunder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly.
0: And don't get me wrong, I love that shit, but the, <laughs> there is nothing oh, wrong with that. I love me some
1: demons ripping yeah. people asunder. Like, again, like you said, time and place.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He He manages to get across this enormously sort of heavy, powerful, lyrical feel without going to that place um and frankly leaving a lot of his lyrics open to interpretation he sure. doesn't talk a whole lot about his lyric meanings and i i'm glad actually i like it that way
1: yeah there's um, plenty of room for the listener to sort of fill in mm, their perceptions of what they think he's talking about for sure a-
0: absolutely so i'm glad that you i'm glad that you liked this track cuz this is one of my favorites on the album um and this is also this is the album where they started what's become a bit of a tradition in track order, and I don't know whether this, I, sh- I should ask them one day, I don't know if this is deliberate, but it's almost like it's too coincidental to not be deliberate, which is the first track is always a big, dramatic opener, like a massive, crushing, epic, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun track, and then track two is a toe-tapper. Track two is the one where everybody in the mosh pit starts jumping up and down. Uh Do you know what what I mean? And that's because that's certainly what the first two tracks in this album are like. And if you go forward throughout almost all of their albums since this one, they do that. The first track is a big crushing opener. Second track, everybody jump up and down and mosh.
1: (laughs) Which, which I'm sure, especially if they're playing, you know, a good chunk of this album live plays really well too, you know, because they they can sort of switch that stuff up. So, um, so yeah, I thought that was a nice change of pace from the first tune. And then you get in. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Just one thing musically. You talk about it getting heavier towards the end. And I think one of the ways that they did it, because if you listen to the actual music of the end, it's no different to what you have at the start, but they are brilliant with dynamics and you have that bit right at the end of this track. And it's literally like the last lyric uh, where everything drops out. And then crash, it comes back in and it's the same music, same music as it was before. But there's something about that half second of silence before it comes back in with Nick shouting over the top that makes it feel, as you say, makes it feel so much heavier than it was before and really ends the song on a sort of real weight. Sure. I just find that interesting from a, you know, (laughs) music structure point of view.
1: It does because again, as we talked about with the first song, like there's, they, there's this deliberate approach to letting things breathe, to having these sort of pregnant pauses and part of the song and stuff like that. So that, so it's, all done to well to good effect i think in Mm. in what we're hearing here um forging sympathy is one of the longer songs in the album it's four minutes 44 seconds this one felt very metallica influenced to me in fact there there's a there's a riff in there that sounds similar to seek and destroy to me Really? In huh. sort of the turn of the riff. Uh, and and I think the uh, when he's talking when he when he's shouting Dying Day, he sounds very Hetfield as he's sort of barking that. Yeah. Um, and lyrically I, I pulled out preaching the words of angels to a darker side of man, which I thought was a very cool lyric. So again, I think you talk about his skills as a lyricist. Um, there were definitely passages that I pulled out of a lot of these songs that I thought were pretty interesting lyrically
0: yeah yeah that that's um what is that is that the bridge yeah i think it's well it's kind of the bridge or the post chorus it's this is one of those songs and they do this a few times not just on this album but in general uh it's one of those songs where there's no real chorus yeah you just sort of where's the chorus exactly not sure um but obviously but it still works yeah i love the drama in this track again this is a band that is not afraid of a bit of drama and a bit of theatrics, not too much, but you know, just enough. And you've got those big crunching chords, um, and the descending chords through the chorus all down to this really low root. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the, the root chord is very low, very heavy. Um, this is actually the, probably the closest they get on this album to the previous one to shades of God. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the, the bridge actually with the twin harmony guitars playing, really shows that because that's something they did do on the previous album a lot before they developed this sound of like, you know, lead over rhythm. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think it's a great track. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites on the album, but I do think it's great. Um, but it, yeah, almost kind of reminds you of the album that came before. So it's interesting that you think this one sounds quite like Metallica.
1: (laughs) Well, not necessarily really like them but there was just elements of it well but
0: elements that bring it to mind for you sure absolutely
1: yeah i Um, also
0: love the the very end that triple chug i'm pretty sure when i heard that i'd never heard anything quite like that before so simple and yet so effective
1: and so heavy you know like yes. <laughs> that that that's the beauty of that um and that's where they really got me at several points in this album where it just got real heavy and i was like Oh, all right i i, I dig that that's cool yeah <laughs> um so four is joys of, joys emptiness. of the emptiness that's yeah. about 3 minutes and 29 seconds uh this one i felt like it It started out a little bit meandering for me, but then it really sort of all clicked in together, and I ended up enjoying this track a lot more than I thought I was going to when it first sort of opened.
0: this is one of the tracks on the album that you do need to listen to several times. Yeah. Because you're, you're right. There's not, it doesn't have, it's another one where you're like, where's the chorus. It doesn't have uh, a very sort of obvious structure, but if you listen to it enough that, you know, you sort of, you get to know the shape of it. Yes. uh, Then yes, it sort of, it reveals itself to you. You you
1: just said something super important that I think is going to come up a lot um, whether we articulate it in the same way or not, but the shape <laughs> of it like that that because again like you you are a uh, a musician in 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 a way that i'm not like I'm a music fan who has an appreciation for music and has a a a knowledge of the feel of it but not um an intricate knowledge of music but i I think I'm right there with you on the on the concept of the shape of a song, and so whenever I start listening to a new song, I'm always kind of. I want it to show me where it's going. And Mm. that's kind of how I, okay, like, where are we going here on this one? Oh, okay, we're over here. And then sometimes it'll switch it up. Oh, we're going over here. Okay, interesting. And so this is one of those songs where when I was first listening to it, I'm like, okay, where are we going here? And then after I listened to it a few times, I was like, oh, okay, I see how we get from, like you said, it sort of reveals itself to you. You know, yeah, like it's I, like I see how we get from beginning to end. First, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Which, yeah. which again, when done deliberately and when done um, with a goal in mind, I think is fine. And, and that's where you have to give the music a chance to sort of show you because we, there yeah. is a part of us that wants that instant gratification of, you know, um, which is one of the reasons that I love and will always love 80s hair metal because it's instant gratification. You're getting, uh, when you put on a Dokken album, you're getting a riff. <laughs> straight in your face right off the bat you know exactly where the song's going you can love it or leave it um, for most of Doc and stuff I love it so but, don't but, bore yeah. us
0: get to the chorus yeah exactly <laughs>
1: so you know but I, I also like to be challenged in my listening right. and to to listen to something that's going especially when that's the whole purpose of of what these guys are trying to do here so yeah it was a song that I think rewards you for your patience
0: yeah. The, the, the lovely jangly chorus effect guitar line at the end of each verse as well on this as well. is just like, again, who, well, like, and like who the does tapping that?
1: and stuff too. I really, but, I, uh,
0: right. I, I've got that in my notes, the tapping guitar lead through the chorus.
1: Yes. Who, which was awesome. That was that? my favorite part of the song.
0: <laughs> like, I remember the f- very first time I heard that and I was just sitting there with my mouth agape going like, who does that? Who does finger tapping Through the chorus, while the lead singer is, you know, shouting over the top, that's just. And again, you know, these days maybe that's not so unusual, but in 1993, that was absolutely unique.
1: Well, and again, it's deliberate as opposed to a lot of songs where you where where it's thrown in as more of a gimmick, you know, or or or, you know, you'll obviously find it in a lot of solos. But yes, to use it outside of a solo and to use it deliberately and to use it appropriately, I think is
0: and quite slow tapping as well. That's the other thing. It's not like. Yeah, Yeah, it's not million miles an hour tapping. It's it is quite sort of slow and melodic. You
1: can literally feel his fingers coming on and off of the string. Like that's how slow it's happening. Like you can, you can feel. You can almost feel his finger peeling off the string, as opposed to (laughs) just. It's not even like it's almost like a peeling. You know what I mean? As opposed to a tapping, like you can, (laughs) you can, you can feel it letting off the string and the way the note bends and stuff like that. It's really cool.
0: It really is. Yeah, and then dying freedom. Another of my favorites on the album, this one.
1: might be my favorite song on the album.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. This is a real rock track. I mean, you know, this is another one where everybody's jumping up and down in the mosh pit.
1: And the way the song ends is killer. So the ending scream and the riff and the notes, like... I love the way the song comes to a close, but yeah, the whole—I mean, the whole song is definitely—it's—it's it's more up tempo than some of the other stuff that's on the album. Uh, there's this great flowing riff, and it's very heavy. I love the tone of it, and again, it's not necessarily different from what you're hearing on the rest of the album, but this was one of the songs that I felt like you'd, you could really hear the tone that they were getting from the guitars. Um, and it, and and again, because I had Metallica on the mind, it it uh, sort of recalled fade to black for me when the song changes tempo um oh, and goes from more of the sort of almost um y to when it gets heavy like yeah. the da-da, da-da, that that kind of felt like right, right. it was it was an ingredient in this song and um but I really dug the the tone of the guitars like there's there's certain like there's so much vanilla guitar tone out there that it's sometimes it's hard to even think about like but when you hear a particular guitar player or a particular band that has a distinct tone, it just sticks with you. And yeah. I felt like on this album, they were achieving a tone with the guitars that stuck with me. It's, it's, Gre- you know,
0: Greg has actually railed quite recently against, uh, the sort of uniformity of guitar tone in yep. a lot of metal albums these days. Like they have always been a band that tries to improve and change their tone for every album. And in fact, on their very last album, which literally only came out like about, as we are recording about six weeks ago, um, they, uh, <laughs> they built two stacks, two completely different stacks, shoved a microphone in front of both of them, and then recorded them at the same time onto the same track. Huh? So he's playing the guitar into two completely different setups. And then they're recording both of them and combining them. To make a guitar tone i love, I love that, that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is well, the
0: stuff that they do and he, he yeah yes, he's if like you, he's if you re-
1: needed to know where anthony and i where our venn diagrams of music right. <laughs> uh sort of overlap like that we yeah. just said that right there we yep, both that's love that it. so yeah but I yeah do. but
0: he, he even wrote a column in guitarist magazine or something a while ago basically like saying to young bands stop it stop letting your engineers and producers define yes, your guitar Especially sound
1: now you. that, that so much of the, of the, you know, processing is, is so computerized now and everything, you know, and yeah. it's, and like, well,
0: but it, it removes your individuality. What he does. was saying was like, look, it, you know, build an actual physical stack and you will not sound like anybody else. Right. That sound will be yours and yours alone. And you see Whereas, that with these
1: guitar players who have yeah. been playing for years and years. Like you look at George Lynch, from Dokken, who has gone on to do great things with KXM, and he just did an album with Michael Sweet from Striper. I mean, he was a guy who always had a very distinct sound with his guitar, but he's some of these guys are carrying around the same uh, equipment that they've used for 30 years now. Because it achieves a certain sound for them and, and it's not something that's gotten from a computer, it's something right. that has gotten from them wearing out you know the pickups and, and you know <laughs> the, and the sweat that that sort of builds in the pickups and and getting they you know they, they can pair this guitar with this you know with this amp and get this particular sound because of the wear and tear on both of those things and and that's actually part of the equation as opposed to um, you know something they're engineering in a lab.
0: Yeah, well, and Paradise Lost do change their guitar tone uh, from album to album. Like every album, their guitar tone sounds completely different. So it's not that they have a, one sound that they stick with throughout the years. It's more just that for that album, they are going to have a unique sound. They are, you know, they don't just sure. plug it in through a processor and get the same tone as you know the producer's last ten albums or something. So, um, and speaking of guitar tone, one of the things I love in this track is how the second guitar greg is just basically wailing feedback for like half of the verse uh-huh but it's like there's no there's no no note there he's not playing a string it's just just feedback
1: <laughs> he does yeah, that a lot actually. that kind of goes back to the first song too you know where they're just letting a note or a chord just just keep going they're yeah. just letting it letting it breathe and and cha- and as the sound changes it just sort of kind of keeps going
0: i love how heavy uh, Aaron's rhythm guitar sound is on this track as well. Like it's not as he's talking about guitar tone, his rhythm sound on this album. It's not as clean as later albums. It is quite sort of, you know, a bit muted and a bit sort of, uh, you know, swampy in some ways, but it is heavy as fuck, man. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, and on this track in particular, it just feels massive. And I, I
1: felt that. like this was the heaviest song on the album to, to me. It felt like, Oh wow. And, really? Yeah. I, and I, I said uh, my notes were, love the ending with the scream and the notes, uh, nice flowing rift in, into Chug's very heavy, distorted tone. Like I just felt like I really loved yeah. the tone on this song. Uh,
0: incidentally, I used the title of this track, Dying Freedom, uh, for a Wasteland issue. Um, nice. <laughs> between them, I think Paradise Lost and My Dying Bride accounted for something like 10 out of 60. I was just going to say, like, in like in we wasteland. could probably <laughs> both do a whole episode
1: on, on all the musical references that we've snuck into our... Right. Uh, and not even snuck, yeah, yeah. but outwardly put in some cases in yeah. uh in some of our writing, but yeah. yeah, um, so then we move on to widow
0: widow, indeed, one of the few times on this album where you can actually be certain what Nick is singing about,
1: <laughs> yes. One of the lyrics I pulled: "You're breaking a chain, lying until you can erase the past." Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. Um,
0: Bought by a sickening man, the weakened gather as fast as they can. Yeah, is what the people roar.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> yep, okay, we get it. Uh, the the sort of climbing riff, the pick slides, the 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 galloping riff in one part of the song, and then the double bass drum. I think is really yeah. You know, the double kick the, is the intro
0: is, of this song is like this is a great build-up intro. Again, lots of feedback and the drums coming in and stuff. Just the first like fifteen seconds of this song I think are amazing.
1: Yes, and I think again he captures that sort of Hetfield vocal um vibe, I think, for me mm. in that song.
0: This is also about as fast as Paradise Lost ever got with this drummer, with Matt Archer, Tuds. Um <laughs> he was the poor guy, right? He was never a great drummer, by his own admission. You know, he was never a great drummer. He kind of fell into it, and he was fine for what they did at first—the really slow stuff. But as soon as they started playing faster stuff, he had real trouble. And you yeah. could see him sweating bollocks by the time they finished this song at gigs. He <laughs> was just like because they all back had long hair back in those days, as sure. Um, and this was actually his last album with them. Uh, he couldn't. He just couldn't keep up when they were touring, uh, and they and th- to their credit, this is another. You know, this is, again speaks well of the personalities of the band. Basically, they fired him. Yeah, they they and this is a, a guy they've known since they were school kids. Um yeah. But they needed a better drummer. It's and funny you say it.
1: that, and and I hate to bring up Megadeth again, but I just watched an interview with Dave Mustaine, and he was saying, you know, a lot of bands never progress past a certain point because they're afraid to let go. Of a member right. who is holding them back, and he said, "At some point, you have to make the decision of if we're going to be serious about this and we're going to move forward as a band. Even though you might be my best friend in the world, you're like a brother to me. We've got to move. We've got to move forward." and, yeah. and, and that's and exactly that what happened here. Yeah.
0: But to their credit, they are all still great friends. Uh, he actually went on to be a producer at MTV Europe. Uh, he's ironically probably more successful and earning more than any of the rest of the band these days. Well, there you go. Uh, but they're all still great friends. You know, they like the Instagram pictures of them. like having a drink, you know, whenever any of them go down to London, they'll sure. be in the pub having a pint with him and what. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And as I say, I think that speaks to, you know, what sort of grounded people, the band themselves are that they could do that. Without, Which is rare. Right. Without it becoming massive drama.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because with a lot of bands, it would have resulted in drama. I mean, with just with the two of the four band, three of the four bands that we've already talked about on the show, nothing but drama. Yeah. So, all right,
0: Colossal Rains. Love this song. Can I just say what a great title, Colossal (laughs) Rains.
1: Here's what I wrote for my notes. Super heavy and crunching. Uh, I love the distant sort of spoken words, the effect that they have there. Uh, The crowd noises while the singular notes are playing. And I pulled the lyric, you'll never walk again. Can this be real? What the frozen rains reveal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really like everything about this
1: song. More of the the, vocal
0: experiments. Absolutely. The sort of processing, as you say, like it sounds like he's in another room. Uh, And the, chords i mean this this track just feels like the soundtrack to the end of the world especially with that title. sure yes it's huge and greg's lead lines again they're sparse but not a single note is wasted weird dissonant chord changes the power chords like i think some of them are fourths rather than fifths which gives them a strange dissonant tone um this is metal this is. This right here is one hundred percent fucking metal. Yep, you're and this, not going to hear this, any
1: argument here. That's uh, I'm I'm down for that.
0: This is a litmus test to me, almost. Like, if you don't like this track, and I don't mean you personally, I mean as a general. You know, if if somebody doesn't like this track, then I'm like, we cannot connect <laughs> on, right. a, on a on a level of metal, at any rate.
1: And that's a thing. Whereas, like, um, even if you're not a fan of this band, even if you're not a lover of this entire album there are songs on here that are going to resonate with you as a metal fan whether this is your type of music or not you could be totally a hair metal dude you could be totally a deathcore guy there are songs on here that are going to resonate and that's one of them
0: yeah well i mean in the same way that i i think paradise city is sure one of the greatest you know sort of heavy rock Mm -hmm. songs of all time I'm not a Guns N' Roses fan me neither at at all but Paradise City what a fucking great song you know and I think yeah this is kind of even if you're not into this band this is a slow song like this is like a quarter the speed of most bands average and it's super crunchy
1: which I love
0: yeah yeah. Um, you know and you may not be into that but this is so heavy it is so
1: I'm not always into that but I'm into it when, when I'm listening to a band that that's what they're about you know what i mean right so, like that's what they, they, they do yeah. yeah and they do that very well on this song for yeah. sure
0: and yeah when when nick is bellowing over those dual guitars at the end and it's just just repeating and repeating sure. and hammering it home. Oh, fucking love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And if you're not, if you're in the I'll say like, here's just one rule of thumb. If you're listening to us talk about this album, if you listen to it and you're thinking to yourself, huh, I didn't get that feeling, then you're not listening to it loud enough. Turn it up louder and then you will feel that. Like there it is definitely
0: a, does benefit from being turned there, up, yeah.
1: There yeah. is a volume that every... Uh, and it's different for every album. I mean, you could say all metal should be played loud, which I, I generally agree with, but yep. <laughs> there is a sweet spot for every album uh, in terms of how loud and the the best way to listen to it is. And, and when you find that, then those songs will hit you in the way that they were intended to hit you. So yeah, if it, this one didn't hit you that way yet, you're not listening to it loud enough. Go in your car, put the CD in, Close the windows, crank it up, and um, you know, watch your back window reverberate as uh, as the sound <laughs> fills the the car. Yeah. So, uh, so now we Weep. go on to weeping words. I didn't think a lot about this. Like I, This wasn't a song that grabbed me necessarily one way or the other. I said uh, it's got a, an interesting chasing riff. It's very drum-driven. Um, I thought that there was some vocal range displayed in the chorus, and I thought there was a nice solo. But I, there wasn't one thing about the song that necessarily grabbed me. I did pull the lyric, don't look back, will we ever see your face again? Don't look back, we'll hear the weeping words again. And that I think that's from the chorus, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. So, Effect- so effectively, that's, the chorus. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's the that's where I thought. Like, I liked. I thought the most interesting thing about this song was the vocals,
0: right? And and was the ending. I could. I can get on board with that. I think it is a good track, but it takes a long time to get going. Um, it's you know we're not. It takes like two minutes into the track before it really starts firing on all cylinders, yeah. and then you've got another minute or whatever to wait until we get to that. Um, bridge the the lovely sparse bridge with all the feedback that's when it gets really interesting, but of course then you're heading towards the end it's kind of sure it's kind of too late right when I do still a four think it's a, song. right I do still think it's a good track and I'll still take this over many other you know band's sure. uh, average tracks, but I agree it's one of the weaker tracks on the album because it doesn't it doesn't have the confidence like we were talking about earlier of a lot of the other tracks on which
1: the album. is generally where you find a song on an album like this you know this is the eight spot Track so eight, this is yeah, yeah <laughs> out of 13 and so you know it, it's two very thirds com- of the way through exactly yep. it's very common in in uh in most in a lot of albums that that there's there's a little bit of a dip somewhere in the middle and then you fin- you try to finish strong obviously
0: well and then speaking of dips okay let's go on to poison say out front i think if again i still think it's a good track but if i was going to lose any track from this album it would be this one
1: my one quote on this is maybe the most radio friendly tune question mark
0: really you think so
1: i thought well it's a three minute song so right there you know you you've got your uh, beginning middle and end i thought the riff was good i thought it was crunchy i like the distortion and the tone um and how some of the notes were bent um but i thought it stood out to me as of of like this doesn't sound like a super radio friendly band to me as i listen to their stuff they're not they're they're not they're just not a soup their whole thing is not super radio friendly so i thought of the songs in the album i felt like this this one kind of feels like it could be a radio tune that was my note on it
0: it's certainly short enough it's the shortest song on the album
1: yeah three minutes exactly
0: yeah Um, yeah. I mean, it's got some, again, some good lyrics. Is there something in death that you think reflects your life?
1: I wrote that down as the lyric. Yeah. Is there something in death that that? you think reflects your life? That's a great lyric. Uh,
0: and the solo where Greg just goes full on atonal. We haven't really talked about this, but I don't know whether you noticed, Uh, again, it's not so unusual these days, but back in the early nineties, this was quite unusual. Greg, a lot of Greg's solos are very atonal and not in the same key. As the chords that are playing underneath them, Um, you know, very obviously deliberately to sort of get an effect. And that was really like I had friends who were sort of, you know, more kind of traditional heavy rock fans. And one of the reasons that they didn't like this band, I remember one, one guy, one mate, Steve, specifically said he couldn't listen to Paradise Lost because the guitar solos were off key and it just did his nutting. He was a guitarist and he was yeah, just like, it, I him, can't that was listen th- to That it. was wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I can't do it. It sounds like he can't play.
1: <laughs> right. As opposed to him doing it on purpose, obviously. Right.
0: Yeah. And this track is a great example of that. You know, as I said, the, the solo in this is just, it doesn't even, it's barely even in the same room <laughs> yes. as, as the chords, let alone the same key. You but know? <laughs> again,
1: here's and here, it, it, you know, kids out there who are just starting your own bands, uh take note this song is three minutes long. There's nothing that they could have done in this song that is really something that you can't get over when the song is three minutes long right. because they don't overstay their welcome and we just you know people right now as we record this are listening to the Saint Anger episode, which where we beat to death the notion that it was so super indulgent and uh, so many of the songs overstay their welcome. These guys get it. You're looking at this, and on this album, at least, they get it. There is no song on here that overstays its welcome. So, "Poison" is a three-minute song. You don't have time to not like it. You know right. what I mean? Like it's you don't not, have you don't have time it, to be like, "Oh, I can't stand what they're doing." It's over. You are, exactly. and then you move on to a killer song. So, you know, it it completely washes away any sort of. So, if anything, I think eight and nine are maybe guilty of just not necessarily living up to the rest of the album
0: right of album sag exactly
1: exactly which which again every band suffers from that yeah
0: and that's exactly what i was just going to say is that yeah you kind of uh, this is the weakest song on the album in my opinion but it's over so quickly you get in you you get out you don't really care and then yes and then it's followed by an absolutely epic track which is true belief
1: could tell when you listen to this, and I don't know this, but I thought when I listened to this, like, oh, this is one of the tracks that everybody points to for this album and probably for goth metal in general as like an epic tune. Is that yeah. fairly yeah. accurate?
0: Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. This was, I think this may have been the first single from the album.
1: Okay. Yeah, that uh, makes it, perfect it, sense. It, it was
0: me. certainly a single anyway, and it's the one that I recall seeing the video for the most. I and mean, it wasn't a very interesting video. It was just a performance video taken from live gigs and stuff. And my uh, first
1: note, just so you know, my first note when I when I first started doing notes was easily my favorite song on the album. And it wasn't until later listens that I think Dying Freedom, which was number five, started <laughs> to become, overtook it. But this, and so what that is a testament to this song is, this song is a standout at first listen.
0: Right. You don't, you don't an, have in, to have
1: multiple listens of the song.
0: It instantly grabs you. Yep, That's exactly, exactly it. That's yep. exactly it. Because I felt the same way. When I first, first few times I heard this album, this was the track that I kept playing on repeat. I loved it so much. I still do love it, but yes, it's sort of, uh, it's no longer, you know, my favorite on the sure. album because I came to appreciate some of the more slow burn tracks, if you like. But yes, this was, I mean, they still play this live um, it is, you know, a big hit live. It is, I wouldn't say it's quite an anthem for the band, but it's not far off. Sure. You know, it's really not, it's far gotta off. be
1: included in their live set. It's, it's something fans expect well, to hear.
0: Well, and fans sing along with sure. as well. Yep. Um, I mean, <laughs> I was talking about the videos actually, a little aside, but paradise, if you go on YouTube to listen to some paradise lost, just kind of leave it playing in another tab and go and do something else. Cause their videos, <laughs> have never been much to write home about. No, even the ones
1: that you sent me to check out of the uh, songs from post album, like they're not, it's not, they are uh, obviously
0: really uncomfortable in front of the camera. Sure.
1: It's not a King diamond video.
0: Right. Yeah. You can tell that they are really self-conscious in front of the camera live. Absolutely fine. They love being on stage. They love the audience. No problem there, but stick them in a cat, you know, in front of a camera for, to record a music video, Uh lip syncing and miming, playing their instruments. And they are obviously really uncomfortable sure um and i've often wondered about that how much of it comes down to their background because this is a very working class blue collar area uh and there is a very british working class attitude of that play acting is uh is silly and childish and something that you should be embarrassed about and the idea of getting up on stage and being dramatic is, you know, not something to be sort of celebrated or be proud of in this this sort of culture. And I've often wondered if that's had an unfortunate effect of, yeah, making them really self-conscious whenever they're forming videos. Um, Well, you can, here's testimony. The very latest video, which is for the first single from that, their most recent album is called The Plague Within. It's the heaviest thing they've ever done. It's amazing. Um, And the single Beneath Broken Earth is the slowest song that they have ever recorded. And certainly one of the heaviest. And the entire video is them in a barely lit basement. The camera is actually on their hands and the instruments most of the time. They're all in deep shadow. They're not looking at the camera at any point. The camera's sort of moving around them, but they're not looking at it at any point. And they've all said that this is basically their favorite video. Right. That-
1: because the the camera's not pointed at them the whole time right
0: exactly yeah because they're not doing anything they're not acting right they're not looking at the camera they're just playing in a darkened basement somewhere while the camera films them
1: (laughs) well and again i mean this band so you know just looking back like formed in the late 80s you know uh, early 90s they're they're out touring and everything like that like this was the whole time where where what was going on with like hair metal and stuff like that was being totally rebelled against and, yes, and the whole yes. pageantry of glam metal and, you know, uh, the Motley Crue's and the poisons of the world and stuff like that was, was just so being shat upon at that time, you know, as just completely ridiculous that, it, and, and we could do a whole another episode on that. But so right, clearly right. these guys are coming up at a time where, where, you know, it could certainly be sort of where they were coming from, but also part of the musical culture at that point was just like yeah. we are—we yeah, are, we are getting the hell away from that. You know, like we're moving the hell away from that, and we're not coming back to it for a very long time. So, um.
0: anyway, so but this is another. This is an absolutely epic track. It is a stadium track, no sure. question. Um, and uh, again, the lyrics in this—I mean, like the meaning is clear. Uh, You know Pretty One of Nick's More transparent tracks The sort of uh, The almost envy That atheists often feel For those with blind faith Because of the comfort In ignorance And all that sort of thing Um, But some of the actual lyrics (laughs) Like The very first line Wretched will Host of pleasure surreal Yeah What What does that even mean? (laughs) What the fuck Are you on about? I mean I love it It sounds great But it's like What? Yeah Ah oh, man. Uh, but it does It's help. just
1: like poisons give me something to believe in.
0: <laughs> I can see no good in taking your own life. That's the lyric I pulled out death when comes. any
1: moment death calls. Like I yeah. love that. That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, um, that's
0: uh that again that's a line that everybody sings along with when I yeah. play it live because that's that yeah. sort of sums up the whole
1: yeah, the whole totally. track really. and, and definitely again I think that you you've mentioned a few times the the sort of lyrical skills of the lead singer there and then clearly you're seeing it with stuff like that so yeah. this um, track
0: also has some of aaron's greatest pick slide squeals in history like in the early days they used to do that a lot <laughs> almost a every other the track he, myself, yeah oh so. he did that a lot and so did greg actually they don't do quite so much now but this track has some fan again how does he get that sound Like an amazing thick sound to yeah. a pixelized wheel. thats not an easy thing to do. So good. I also love the uh, the short melodic solo over the end as the snares go double time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's there's not much to it. Again, it's not very complex. It's not even very long. Uh It only lasts for maybe like you know twenty seconds, twenty five seconds. But it is—it's a perfect coder to the track. And again, even though it's very short, brings that sort of epic feel. To the ending of the track, um, and yeah, the whole the, the whole song, as I say, is a bit of a sort of live favorite, and I think that helps contribute to it because it—I don't know—it just gives it a lovely coda where everybody is just in unison, headbanging away sure. to the double time snares as Greg rings out this solo, and then you know the final ringing chord as the crowd erupts. It's uh, yeah, well, it, and it's you're, great. you're
1: hitting on another thing too that we we haven't. Necessarily talked about as much, although we do talk about seeing bands live. Is you really need to get out and see bands live, like because the experience of actually seeing a band completely changes your how you feel about all those songs. Once you see a song played live, even a song that when you hear it on the album you're like, eh, I could take it or leave it. It gets played live, it completely changes that song for you. There, there's been many a song that I thought was a clunker, but I heard it played live, and it then Changed the way I completely felt about that song. So
0: oh, interesting. And actually, talking about playing live, uh, they uh, Paradise Lost. I mean, they tour every year, uh, obviously. But they uh, the end of last year, I think it was, did one of one of those gigs that all metal bands seem to do now, where they played with an orchestra.
1: Wow! Uh, at uh, which Bob is dude. cool, man. I, even though it's kind of a trend that a lot of people do, like I, th- I think that every band, if they have the opportunity, should do that oh
0: absolutely should do it yeah because it's yeah, there yeah.
1: you know they're different than any every other band so to have that opportunity it's just a, another way of sort of seeing your music out there and, and usually it ends up sounding awesome
0: yeah, well exactly yeah i've seen it yeah i mean obviously metallica did s&m yeah um i uh who was it within temptation uh did one with the dutch symphony orchestra that was excellent Uh, I mean, they're a symphonic metal band anyway, so give them a real orchestra, and that sounded amazing. Um, And yeah, Prados Lost did one in Plovdiv in Bulgaria with the Plovdiv Symphony Orchestra, who are like a very old, venerable orchestra and have produced many world-famous conductors and musicians and the like. Um, And they did record it, so I am waiting for, because there was no way I could get out there to see it, but they did record it, and I am waiting with bated breath for that Blu-ray or DVD release, however they release it, because I am going to buy that sight unseen. <laughs> You'll like, buy it no twice question. just
1: to make sure they know.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I've, uh, I mean, they haven't released that many DVDs actually paradise Lost. but I, ha- I do have all of them uh, and all of the live DVDs are brilliant. Just apps. They're such a good live band. Um, and even on video, it comes across even on video. They're a great band to watch live. So anyway, uh, shallow digression seasons aside, shallow seasons, <laughs>
1: almost like a I almost felt like a there was kind of a bluesy opening to the, to the song a little bit and uh really ah. and at some point during the song there there's, it feels like there's a flange effect
0: oh probably yeah yeah
1: which i really i'm a big fan of flange so anytime i hear <laughs> it's like one of those things that anytime i hear it i'm like ooh is that is that flange that i just heard in there so yeah, yeah. i i uh
0: well and there's a big flanger on the intro uh, and again the like the first literally the first 30 seconds of this song again are so unique or were at the time Like again in 1993 who the hell was doing that with that sort of weird right flanged keyboard sound and nick just kind of speaking pronouncing these lines as if they were off of clay tablets or something <laughs> right. uh and then yeah that <laughs> boom and in it comes nobody else was doing that in metal that was, I remember that again, the first time I heard this track going like, what is happening here? It felt like, it felt like I was hearing a genre be invented.
1: Now, let me ask you a question, because this sounds like this song might have had this effect on you. Like, do you actually get the, the sort of hair raising tingles on the back of your neck? Like when you hear a riff or a song or like, just a mind blowing piece of music for the first oh, time. Sure. Cause, Cause that definitely happens. I don't know if that happens to everyone, but that definitely happens to me where, where yeah. you, you literally get like the, um, people say the chills, but there's like a, there's like this, you know, sensation of like, Holy crap. My brain can't even process. Yeah. What yeah, is yeah, happening there, right there, now. There
0: are certain albums where, almost as soon as I've started playing them I'm yeah as you say the hair's in the back of your neck and that's the best and like, experience
1: oh, wow. with a friend where you can look at each other and go
0: holy shit did you just hear that <laughs> I see I know I'm a, I'm a lone listener if I'm listening to a to an album for the first time I want to do it like on my own I do that know, too I mean
1: I definitely have to give an album a good listen all by myself just to let it sort of sink in but I, I remember I was on vacation one year up in Maine and uh, the new, it was the Countdown to Extinction album from Megadeth came out. Uh, everything's related to Megadeth for me. So you, <laughs> so we're, uh, two of my friends and I drove to a record store that was 45 minutes away from where we were vacationing because that was the closest place that we could go and get this record on the day that it came out. So we go and pick up the record on the on the day that it came out, and I th- want to say Skin of My Teeth is the opening song on the album, and the end of the guitar solo is like just this pick scratching that was one of those moments where we all just looked at each other and screamed in the car. Like, like, (laughs) just like, like it was just one of those classic moments where you're like, Oh, I can't believe that. That was so amazing. let put it back, put it back. Let's hear it again. Uh, It was one of those things. So yeah. So, so yeah. So, so shallow seasons, um, the lyric that I pulled from it was you'll pay, pay for the feelings that you feed me.
0: Ah, now it's the line after that that I pulled out, which is don't hold on to what you call a life.
1: I, the,
0: the, the disgust and contempt yes. in that line. Well, in the one,
1: in the one before it, put them both wonderful. together and you got a, you got a contempt sandwich yeah. there. So, uh, so yeah. So yeah, cool, cool song. Very, uh, very deep yeah. and dark. And, and just
0: some great musical dynamics again. Sure. Like the intro is like really interesting. The, the way that the main riff kicks in with that, Yep. lead. There's a uh, nice solo in this song solo. too. Yeah, right. And the, the intro the solo. Which these guys aren't the huge.
1: Um, they're not huge into solos. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not, uh, Well, they they're don't not need big showmen. They're not very showy with this, right. which again, I think but, would be out of place with this music anyways. But, um, but this was a song where I was like, oh, the, I felt like the solo really stood out in the song.
0: Right. Well, and they don't need to be big, on solos because greg is playing a solo effectively throughout the entire song anyway (laughs) but the intro to the solo on this song i absolutely love because you've got they break the rhythm and this is another part of songwriting dynamics they you know most songs from the minute the first beat starts you can follow through on a four four beat and everything is regular and you've got four sets of four four bars you know right the way through to the end And it all just like falls in line. You can chop it up into lovely equal sized pieces. But then in a song like this, you get that to an extent until you get to the intro to the solo uh, where basically, you know, Nick's finished singing. Um, And then you get what should be the final bar and you think, oh, okay, here we go. And then they repeat that bar again. So you get a fifth bar but higher up, you know, just like in a higher key. And it just completely changes everything about the dynamic of the song because subconsciously, you know, in the in the West here, we're so used to four, four, four bars, four beats. We're so used to that in music, especially rock music. Sure. unconsciously you're just kind of following it and you expect when you get to the fourth bar you expect okay now we're going to get a different bit a new bit a new set of four bars and when you don't when there's a stop or silence or a fifth bar or it just throws you it subconsciously makes you do an audio double take right right yeah and the way they do it here like they have it and then immediately rip into This solo, which starts with a squealing high-pitched note from Greg. It just really kind of throws you out of your chair. You're like, whoa, hang on a second. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Christendom.
1: yes very the gothicy fi- the song.
0: final uh, sort of proper track yes.
1: if you like on yeah. this super album. gothicy um you've got your your chorus and your you know your choir in the background you've got uh it's a very sinister sounding track the, the whole spoken word uh elements of it as well like it's th- this is like
0: and a female vocalist
1: yeah this is like put the stamp of goth metal on like you're just next to this song like this. This has all of the elements of if someone said, close your eyes and tell me what goth metal sounds like, like, okay, well, it sounds like Christendom.
0: Yeah. Well, and this, this track, I think more than any other is the one that people are thinking of when they call them the grandfathers of gothic metal, because yes, what gothic metal has become in the years since is A mixture of male and female vocals, sinister sounding chords, a bit of choir. You know, yeah, it's, as you say, it's all like wrapped up here to the point, true fact, this is the track that convinced Christina Scabia to join Lacuna Coil.
1: Well, you know what? I was just going to mention Lacuna Coil. I was just listening to them the other day. That's a, that's a band we'll probably take a look at at some point in the show too. Probably, yeah, yeah. But
0: she, she's on, I mean, this, that's what she claims. Who knows? Maybe she was just being nice. But on a documentary that I have about Paradise Lost, she and the male vocalist from Lacuna Call, whose name I'm afraid I can't remember now. I can't either. uh, But but they're being interviewed together. And, you know, she says that this, he was trying to get her to join the band and she was like, I don't know, metal with my voice. And then she heard Christendom. I think he may have even played it to her. Uh, And she was like, oh, oh, wow. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's awesome. We're doing, that. We're doing this.
1: <laughs> that's that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and and it is a great track, and the the end, like the way it ends with the shouting. yeah just like whoa all of a sudden that elevates it beyond st- what we now think of as standard female fronted gothic metal and suddenly it's like and you've got that the weird slightly off-time uh open-core guitars immediately following the shouting it's like whoa all of a sudden it's a completely different track
1: yeah the re- the the lyric i pulled here was uh, for my life and the star's creation, for my life it's the same rejection, lost in life, I'll blame it all on you.
0: Mm. And that's Nick, one of Nick's spoken bits as well, yep. isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, it's a great track. And yeah, a
1: really this this is one that has a lot of very interesting elements. And, and again, going back to the three-listen rule, if you're spending multiple listens with a song like this, you're going to get something different each time um, because there's almost too much for you to get all the first time. And yes. so again, that's that's a theme that, I will probably harp on a thousand times an episode, just the idea that you you really have to spend some time with it to appreciate everything that they're trying to do with that song. But yeah, that, well, that one it's, has it's all layered. the ingredients. It, exactly. And you can't listen to any layered song one time and think that you understand it. Right. You know what right. I mean? And, it's like, and, and it's like watching probably... the trailer for a movie. It's like reading the prologue to right. a book. Like, <laughs> yes, you've listened to the song technically, but you haven't listened to the song.
0: You're listening, but you can't hear. it, Exactly, that's exactly right.
1: You can't hear it. You can't see the shape of it. You can't see the layers. You can't peel them back until you've listened to it multiple times. And yeah. and and also, you know, going back to the concept of listening to the entire album, like it's a journey to get to this song.
2: Yes, you've come yes, a long way
1: by the time that you've gotten to the song. They've showed you a lot of things. They've done a lot of different things to get to this song. So, yeah. um. As the last proper song on the album, I think this fits in a great place because it really does bring together all the elements that you've had bits and pieces of in all of the different songs and sort of wraps them up really nice. Yeah, yes, it does.
0: Uh, And then uh, Deus Miserator... which is Latin form may God have mercy. Yep. And that is the final instrumental track, Um which I really like, actually. I mean, I think it's a good ending to the album. Obviously it's not the sort of balls to the wall crashing sure. into the album that, you know, that we've said we like on many other albums, but this is not that sort of album anyway.
1: Correct. It's not an album that's going to come screeching to a halt. Right. So it's, a, so it, it's, Instead, I think it's, more it's more of a fine dirge. here, I also think it could have been fine as an opener um to sort of you know right. to to sort of you know whet your appetite for what was to come um it is an interesting tune it's a good instrumental it's not it's it's not one way or the other like I like I don't feel strongly one way or the other about it I don't think it's a throwaway song but it it doesn't you know jump out it's only 2 minutes long so it is it is just sort of the um the closing credits if you will of what you've gotten for the rest of the album
0: well and it's it's interesting that you say it could have been an opening partly because uh they're not they've never been the sort of band that would put this as an opener there are many other gothic bands that i like who would absolutely put a track like this as an opener but paradise lost have always fallen more on the sort of rocky side of goth metal you know more metal than goth sure if you like yep um so it's it's much more appropriate that this will be at the end it is it's basically just a repeating pattern you know mm-hmm. the, there's there's no sort of great artistry to it, but that makes it it makes it a dirge. It is almost like a funeral march or something right um uh but what they do where they do use it as an opener or used to anyway, was at their gigs
1: yeah were that yeah yeah this was
0: the walk on music,
1: yeah, which is cool um and it,
0: it it kind of fits that because it's sort of it does feel like it's building in that context it feel it, it always felt cuz i saw them on this tour a few times and it always felt like it was a build up when they played that because you because it is a repeating pattern and yep. um, because it's got that slightly sort of classical quasi classical feel to it uh, it worked really well as as a, a walk on music obviously if they'd actually then come on and played it that would have been very different sure <laughs> But just over the PA, it actually worked really well, yeah. And then they, what did they, uh, what did they start? Do you know, actually, I think on this tour, they actually opened with the first track on this album, with Ember's Fire. Huh. If, if I recall correctly, they'd played Deus Miseria as their walk-on music, and then they would open with Ember's Fire. Most, uh, from what I recall of this of this tour, most of the shows that I saw, that was how they would open it, yeah. Because, as we've said, it's a great opening track.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So, I mean, all in all, this is an album that uh, I was glad I got to spend a good amount of time with, because I appreciated it more and more every time I listened to it, to the point now where I, as I said, it's it's in my car right now. I was actually listening to it on the way home from work today, um, and nah, I really enjoyed you, it. Uh,
0: I'm so, I mean, sorry listeners, not much arguing in this episode, um, but I am really glad that you, that you like this, because I am all about spreading the word of Paradise Lost, but... You really have to go and get a copy of Draconian Times
1: now. I will definitely uh, do that. Yeah, because, I mean, like I, I say,
0: that's kind of that's the sort of big budget version of this album. Almost, I mean, you know, not quite, but you know, to put it in simplistic terms, imagine this album with like ten times the budget, and pretty much that is Draconian Times.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is uh, again, this is an album that I think repeated listens are very favorable for, and so. Yeah. You know, if there's a theme of this show, it's that please try the music that we're talking about on this show, because we're trying to sort of expose people to different things. And in in addition to celebrating albums that we think are are really amazing, but um, give the music it to do. And I feel like this was an album that had I had we recorded this after I listened to it once or twice, it would have been a different episode. I spent right, a couple right. of weeks with this album, and I came out the other side of it really appreciating what these guys did for the genre, but also what they did on this album. And I want to dig into other parts of their catalog, which is really the best thing that we can hope for on this show oh, is that someone will listen yeah. to an episode and go, huh, okay, I'm going to go check out some of the other stuff that these guys did.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, direct all of your paradise lost questions to me. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. As I will, do. I will.
0: I will take you by the hand and lead you through. There the, you go, w- the forest of gothic. Metal. That's
1: exactly what I said. When that when that uh, guy today on Twitter, uh, who was it? Don talked about Megadeth. I immediately said we're best friends now. So if you ever have any questions <laughs> about Megadeth, you just let me know, night or day, twenty four seven, and I will be there. Yep. And that's 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 why we're doing this show because we could talk about metal twenty four seven. And so, yeah, exactly. Absolutely.
0: All right. Okay. Let's, let's move on then. So lay it on me, O. What are we going to talk about next week?
1: We are going to talk about one of easily my top 20 all-time albums, if not a top 10 all-time album. And it was an album that someone mentioned in a comment on your Facebook page today, and I had already picked it out. We're going to talk about the 1988 masterpiece, Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime. In our next oh, episode.
0: 88 is it really that old? Oh yes, Holy it's 27
1: shit. years old as of May.
0: Wow. I I genuinely didn't realize that it was that old. My god.
1: Is that crazy? 27 years ago uh and I saw them on this tour so we can talk about that when we talk about that uh, particular episode wow. but boy if,
0: well, and this is the album which, you know, if, you, if listeners, if you've been listening since the start, you'll know I said in the very first episode, and this is why it came up on Facebook today, I've never heard Operation Mindcrime.
1: Holy crap, the, I forgot the, that you even told me that until you just said it again.
0: <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, I've never even heard a single song off of this holy album. Holy! I'm i not Lord. even sure I've ever heard a Queensryche song. <laughs> holy crap.
1: <laughs> I don't even know what to say at this point. Here's what I'll say about Queensryche. Um, Through their first four albums in their original EP, they were one of the greatest uh, metal bands, and some would say progressive metal bands, ever. And their sound changed so dramatically after what was maybe their most popular album, which was Empire, the album that came after this. And we can talk about this when we talk about their history, but they're not even the same band now. And they are one of the bands whose sound changed in a bad way. Um, and then there was a lot of oh, drama, wow. and okay. they have a new singer now, and everything. And we could talk about all that history, but this album is a this freaking is the pinnacle, masterpiece. Is it? it is a concept album, and it is pulled off from start to finish. Uh, well, anyways, maybe you'll think differently, but I will tell you that uh, this is one <laughs> of the all-time great albums um, for all me. Right. Anyways, I,
0: I, I'm genuinely looking forward to listening to it because, as I say, I I've never, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I've ever heard. A Reich song, oh, let alone so excited. this album. And I know that fans do regard this as their masterpiece. As Although I so will I am, say you
1: just said you know, at the front that you did not care for King Diamond's voice. Um, I will say certainly say you I'm sure you've heard Jeff Tate at some point over over the course of your metal listening career. He is not King Diamond esque in that way, but he does have a range that few singers in metal have ever even come close oh, to Oh
0: I have no problem with range my problem with King Diamond is the that is literally just his falsetto Yes. Um like the the falsetto drives me bonkers and I like a bit of falsetto. I like the Bee Gees for heaven's sake. You know, I have no problem with falsetto, ju- but his falsetto in particular just drives nails through my ears. Yeah. And we <laughs> could talk about
1: some of Queen's other albums because their earlier stuff he really went for those super super high notes and and right. here he dialed it back just a little bit because there was they had a vision for this album that was clear. So, um but yeah, I'm super psyched now. So everybody go and listen to Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime because this is one that you'll want to have listened to it because this is an album and a story all all wrapped up in one. Wow. I'm really excited to this. Excellent, man. And thanks, everybody. Yeah, so much already for the support. We're super psyched.
0: Yeah, this has been an amazing day. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who said hello to us on Twitter. Uh, If you want to find us on Twitter, by the way, I'm at Anthony Johnston, A-N-T-O-N-Y-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, and Brian is at c brian Wright. s w e b r i a n w r i t e and we're both on there. Basically, if we're awake, we're on Twitter. <laughs> yep,
1: absolutely. We uh, pretty much everything flows through Twitter nowadays. So yeah. you'll hear about all our other stuff there. And pretty uh, much, yeah. And yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, see you next time.
1: All right, take care.
0: You've been listening to Anthony Johnston and Brian Letendry, Thrash It Out. If this is your kind of thing, please spread the word, rate us on iTunes, and support us at patreon.com thrashitout With your help, we can stay completely independent and keep thrashing. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com. Thank you, and good night.